a sermon against whoredom and uncleanness. <coughs> Although there want not good Christian people, great swarms of vices worthy to be rebuked unto such decay is true godliness and virtuous living now come. Yet about other vices, the outrageous seas of adultery or breaking of wedlock, whoredom, fornication, and uncleanness have not only burst in, but also overflowed almost the whole world unto the great dishonor of God. The exceeding infamy of the name of Christ, the notable decay of true religion, and the utter destruction of the public wealth, and that so abundantly that through the custom use thereof this vice is grown into such a height that in a manner among many it is counted no sin at all, but rather a pastime, a dalliance, and but a touch of youth, not rebuked but winked at, not punished but laughed at. Wherefore it is necessary at this present to entreat of the sin of whoredom and fornication, declaring unto you the greatness of this sin, and how odious, hateful, and abominable it is, and has always been reputed before God and all good men, and how grievously it has been punished both by the law of God and the laws of diverse princes. Again, to show you certain remedies uh, whereby you may, through the grace of God, eschew this most detestable sin of whoredom and fornication and lead your lives in all honesty and cleanness, and that you may perceive that fornication and whoredom are, in the sight of God, most abominable sins, you shall call to remembrance this commandment of God, you shall not commit adultery. By the which word adultery, although it be properly understood of the unlawful commixtion uh, or joining together of a married man with any woman beside his wife, or of a wife with any man beside her husband, yet thereby is signified also all unlawful use of those parts which be ordained for generation. And this one commandment, forbidding adultery, does sufficiently paint and set out before our eyes the greatness of this sin of whoredom, and manifestly declares how greatly it ought to be abhorred of all honest and faithful persons. And that none of us all shall think himself accepted from this commandment, whether we be old or young, married or unmarried, man or woman, hear what God the Father says by his most excellent prophet Moses. There shall be no whore among the daughters of Israel, nor no whoremonger among the sons of Israel. Here is whoredom, fornication, and all other uncleanness forbidden to all kinds of people, all degrees, and all ages without exception. And that we shall not doubt, but that this precept or commandment pertains to us indeed. Hear what Christ, the perfect teacher of all truth, says in the New Testament. You have heard, says Christ, that it was said to them of old time, you shall not commit adultery, but I say unto you, whoever sees a woman to have his lust of her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. Here our Savior Christ does not only confirm and establish the law against adultery given in the Old Testament of God the Father by his servant Moses, and make it of full strength continually to remain among the professors of his name in the new law, but he also, condemning the gross interpretation of the scribes and Pharisees, which taught that the foresaid commandment only requires to abstain from outward adultery and not from the filthy desires and unpure lust, teaches us an exact and full perfection of purity and cleanliness of life, both to keep our bodies undefiled and our hearts pure and free of all evil. Thoughts, carnal desires, and fleshly consents. How can we then be free from this commandment where so great a charge is laid upon us? 
May a servant do what he will in anything, having commandment of his master to the contrary. Is not Christ our master? Are not we his servants? How then may we neglect our master's will and pleasure and follow our own will and fantasy? You are my friends, says Christ, if you keep those things that I command you. Now, has Christ our master commanded us that we should forsake all uncleanliness and filthiness, both in body and spirit? This, therefore, must we do if we look to please God. In the Gospel of St. Matthew, we read that the scribes and Pharisees were grievously offended with Christ because his disciples did not keep the traditions of the forefathers, for they washed not their hands when they went to dinner or supper. And among other things, Christ answered and said, Hear and understand, not that thing which enters into the mouth defiles the man, but that which comes out of the mouth defiles the man. For those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceeds evil, thoughts, murders, breaking of wedlock, whoredom, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. Here may we see that not only murder, theft, false witness, and blasphemy defile men, but also evil thoughts, breaking of wedlock, fornication, and whoredom. Who is now of so little wit that he will esteem whoredom and fornication to be things of small importance? And of now wait before God. Christ, who is the truth and cannot lie, says that evil thoughts, breaking of wedlock, whoredom, and fornication defile a man, that is to say, corrupt both the body and the soul of a man, and make them of the temples of the Holy Ghost the filthy dunghill, or dungeon of all unclean spirits, of the house of God, the dwelling place of Satan. Again, in the Gospel of St. John, when the woman is taken in adultery, was brought unto Christ, said... Uh, not he unto her, go your way and sin no more. Does he not here call whoredom sin? And what is the reward of sin but everlasting death? If whoredom is sin, then it is not lawful for us to commit it. For St. John says, he that commits sin is of the devil. And our Savior says, everyone that commits sin is the servant of sin. If whoredom has not been sin, surely St. John the Baptist would never have rebuked King Herod for taking his brother's wife, but he told him plainly that it was not lawful for him to take his brother's wife. He winked not at the whoredom of Herod, although he were a king of power, but boldly reproved him for his wicked and abominable living, although for the same he lost his head. But he would rather suffer death than see God so dishonored by the breaking of his holy precept and commandment than to suffer whoredom to be unrebuked, even in a king. If whoredom had been but a pastime, a dalliance, and not to be passed off as many count it nowadays, truly John had been more than twice mad if he would have had the displeasure of a king, if he would have been cast in prison and lost his head for a trifle. But John knew right well how filthy and stinking and abominable the sin of whoredom is in the sight of God. Therefore would not he leave it unrebuked? Not, uh, no, not in a king. If whoredom be not lawful in a king, neither is it lawful in a subject. If whoredom be not lawful in a public or common officer, neither is it lawful in a private person. If it be not lawful neither in a king nor subject, neither in common officer nor private person, truly then it is lawful in no man nor woman of whatsoever degree or age they be. 
Furthermore, in the Acts of the Apostles, we read that when the apostles and elders with the whole congregation were gathered together to pacify the hearts of the faithful dwelling at Antioch, which were disquieted through the false doctrine of certain Jewish preachers, they sent word to the brethren that it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to them to charge them with no more than with necessary things. Among other, they willed them to abstain from idolatry and fornication, from which they said, if you keep yourselves, you will do well. Note here how these holy and blessed fathers of Christ's church would charge the congregation with no uh, more things than were necessary. Mark also how among those things from which they commanded the brethren of Antioch to abstain, fornication and whoredom is numbered. It is therefore necessary by the determination and consent of the Holy Ghost and the apostles and elders with the whole congregation that as from idolatry and superstition, so likewise we must abstain from fornication and whoredom. It is necessary unto salvation to abstain from idolatry, so is it to abstain from whoredom. Is there any nigher way to lead unto damnation than to be an idolater? No. Even so, neither is there any nearer way to damnation than to be a fornicator and a whoremonger. Now, where are those people which so lightly esteem breaking of wedlock, whoredom, fornication, and adultery? It is necessary, says the Holy Ghost, the blessed apostles, the elders, with the whole congregation of Christ, it is necessary to salvation, they say, to abstain from whoredom. If it be necessary unto salvation, then woe be to them which, neglecting their salvation, give their minds to so filthy and stinking sin, to so wicked vice, and to such detestable abomination. You have been taught in the first part of this sermon against adultery, how that vice at this day uh, reigns most above all other vices, and what is meant by this word adultery, and how Holy Scripture uh, disavows and uh, discounsels from doing that filthy sin. And finally, what corruption comes to man's soul uh, through the sin of adultery. Now to proceed further, let us hear what the, bless, the blessed apostle St. Paul says to this matter. Uh, writing to the Romans, uh, he has these words, Let us cast away the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly, as it were in the daytime, not in eating and drinking, neither in chambering and wantonness, neither in strife and envying, but uh, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill uh, the lust therein. Here, the Holy Apostle exhorts us to cast away the works of darkness, which among others, uh, he calls gluttonous eating, drinking, chambering, and wantonness, which are all ministers unto that vice and preparations to induce and bring in the filthy sin of the flesh. He calls them the deeds and works of darkness, not only because they are custom, uh, customably in darkness or in the nighttime, for everyone that does evil hates the light, uh, neither comes he to the light, lest his works should be uh, reproved, but that they lead the right way unto that utter darkness where weeping and gnashing of teeth will be. And he says in another place of the same epistle that they are in the flesh, uh, that those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Uh, we are debtors not to the flesh, that we should live after the flesh. If you live after the flesh, you will die. Uh, again, he says, flee from whoredom for every sin that a man commits is uh, without his body or outside of his body. But whoever commits whoredom sins against his own body. Uh, do you not know that your members are the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, whom also you have of God and you are not your own? 
for your dearly bought glorify God in your bodies. And a little before he says, uh, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of a whore? God forbid, do you not know that he which cleaves to a whore is made one body with her? Uh, there shall be two in one flesh, says he, but he that cleaves to the Lord is one spirit. What godly words does the blessed Apostle Paul uh, bring forth here to dissuade and discounsel us from whoredom and uncleanliness? Your members, he says, are the temple of the Holy Ghost, and uh, which uh, whoever does defile, God will destroy him, as said St. Paul. If we are the temple of the Holy Ghost, how unfitting then it is to drive that Holy Spirit from us through whoredom and in his place to set the wicked spirits of uncleanness and fornication and to be joined and to do service to them. You are dearly bought, he says, therefore glorify God in your bodies. Christ, that innocent lamb of God, has brought us from the servitude of the devil, not with corruptible gold and silver, but with his most precious and dear blood. To what intent? That we should fall again unto our old uncleanliness and abominable living? No, truly no, but that we should serve him all the days of our life in holiness and righteousness, that we should glorify him in our bodies by purity and cleanliness of life. He declares also that our bodies are members of Christ. How unseemly a thing is it then to cease to be uh, incorporate or embodied and made one with Christ and through whoredom to be enjoined and made all one with a whore. What greater dishonor or injury can we do to Christ than to take away from him the members of his body and to join them to whores, devils, and wicked spirits? What more dishonor can we do to ourselves than through uncleanliness to lose so excellent a dignity and freedom and to become bond slaves and miserable captives to the spirits of darkness? Let us there uh, consider first the glory of Christ, then our estate, our dignity and freedom, wherein God has set us by giving us his Holy Spirit. And let us valiantly defend the same against Satan and all his crafty assaults that Christ may be honored and that we uh, lose not our liberty or freedom, but still remain in one spirit with him. Moreover, in this letter to the Ephesians, the blessed apostle wills us to be so pure and free from adultery, fornication and uncleanliness uh, that we not once name them among us as is uh, becoming saints, nor filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not comely, but rather giving of thanks for this, you know, he says that no whoremonger, neither unclean person or covetousness, uh, covetous person, which is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. And that we should remember to be holy, pure and free from all uncleanliness. The Holy Apostle calls us saints because we are sanctified and made holy by the blood of Christ uh, through the Holy Ghost. Now, if we be saints, that uh, what have we to do? With the manners of the heathen, uh, St. Peter says, as he which called you is holy, even so be holy, as also uh, in your conversation, because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. Uh, hitherto have we heard how grievous a sin fornication and whoredom is, and how greatly God does abhor it throughout the whole scripture. 
How can it any otherwise be then a sin of most abominations, seeing it may not once be named among the Christians, much less it may in any point be committed? And surely if we would weigh the greatness of this sin and consider it in the right kind, we should find the sin of whoredom to be that most filthy lake, soul puddle, and stinking sink whereunto all kinds of sins and evils flow, where also they have their resting place and abiding." For has not the adulterer a pride in his whoredom? As the wise man says, they are glad when they have done evil and rejoice in things that are stark not. Is not the adulterer also idle and delights in no godly exercise, but only in that his most filthy and beastly pleasure? Is not his mind plucked and utterly drawn away from all virtuous studies and fruitful labors and only given to carnal and fleshly imagination? Does not the whoremonger give his mind to gluttony that he may be the more apt to serve his lust and carnal pleasures? Does not the adulterer uh, give his mind to covetousness and to uh, pulling and piling of others that he may be the more able to maintain his harlots and whores and to continue in his filthy and unlawful love? Swelleth he not also with envy against others, fearing that his prey should be allured and taken away from him? Again, is he not <clears throat> ireful and replenished with wrath and displeasure, even against his best beloved, if at any time his beastly and devilish request be leaded? What sin or kind of sin is it that is not joined with fornication and whoredom? It is a monster of many heads. It receives all kinds of vices and refuses all kinds of virtues. If one several sin brings damnation, what is to be thought of that sin, which is accompanied with all evils and has waiting on it whatsoever, is hateful to God, damnable to man, and pleasant to Satan? Great is the damnation that hangs over the heads of fornicators and adulterers. What shall I speak of other incommodities which issue the flow out of the stinking puddle of whoredom? Is not that treasure, which before all other is most regarded of honest persons, the good fame and name of a man and woman lost through whoredom? What patrimony or uh, <clears throat> livelihood, what substance, what goods, what riches does whoredom shortly consume and bring to naught? What valiantness and strength is many times made weak and destroyed with whoredom? What wit is so fine that is not besotted and defaced through whoredom? What beauty, although it were never so excellent, is not disfigured through whoredom? Is not whoredom an enemy to the pleasant flower of youth, and brings it not gray hairs and old age before its time? What gift of nature, although it were never so precious, is not corrupted with whoredom? Come not many foul and most loathsome diseases of whoredom, from whence come so many bastards and misbegotten children, to the high displeasure of God and dishonor of holy wedlock, but of whoredom. How many consume all their substance and goods and at the last fall into such extreme poverty that afterward they steal and so are hanged through whoredom. What contention and manslaughter comes of whoredom? How many maidens be deflowered? How many wives corrupted? How many widows defiled through whoredom? How much is the public and commonwealth impoverished and troubled through whoredom? How much is God's word condemned and depraved through whoredom and whoremongers? Or this vice comes a great part of the divorces, which now aids 
be so commonly accustomed and used by men's private authority to the great displeasure of God and the breach of the most holy knot and bond of matrimony. For when this most detestable sin is once crept into the breast of the adulterer, so that he is entangled with unlawful and unchaste love, straightways his true and lawful wife is despised, her presence is abhorred, her company stinks and is loathsome, whatsoever she does is dispraised. There is no quietness in the house so long as she is in sight. Therefore, to make short work, she must away, for her husband can brook her no longer. Thus through whoredom is the honest and harmless wife put away, and a harlot received in her stead. And in like sort, it happens many times in the wife towards the husband. O abomination, Christ our Savior, very God and man, coming to restore the law of his heavenly Father unto the right sense, understanding and meaning, among other things, reform the abuse of this law of God. For whereas the Jews used a long sufferance by custom to put away their wives at their pleasure for every cause, Christ correcting that evil custom did teach that if any man put away his wife and marry another for any cause, except only for adultery, which then was death by law, he was an adulterer. And forced also his wife so divorced to commit adultery if she were joined to any other man, and the man also so joined with her to commit adultery. In what case then are these adulterers, which for the love of a whore put away their true and lawful wife against all law, right, reason, and conscience? How damnable is the estate wherein they stand. Swift destruction shall fall on them if they repent not and amend not. For God will not suffer holy wedlock thus to be dishonored, hated, and despised. He will once punish this fleshly and licentious manner of living, and cause that his holy ordinance shall be in reverence and honor. For surely wedlock, as the apostle says, is honorable among all men, and the bed undefiled. But whoremongers and fornicators God will judge, that is to say, punish and condemn. But to what purpose is this labor taken, to describe and set forth the greatness of the sin of whoredom, and the discommodities that issue and flow out of it, seeing that breath and tongue shall sooner fail any man than he shall or may be able to set it out according to the abomination and heinousness thereof. Notwithstanding, this is spoken to the intent that all men should flee whoredom and live in the fear of God. God grant that it may not be spoken in vain. The third part of the sermon against adultery. In the second part of the sermon against adultery that was last read, you have learned how earnestly the scripture warns us to avoid the sin of adultery and to embrace uh, cleanness of life. And that through adultery, we fall into all kinds of sin and are made bond slaves to the devil. Through cleanness of life, we are made members of Christ. And finally, how far adultery brings a man from all goodness and drives him headlong into all vices, mischief, and misery. Now will I declare unto you in order with what grievous punishments God in times past plagued adultery and how certain worldly princes also did punish it, that you may perceive that whoredom and fornication be sins no less detestable in the sight of God to all good men than I have uh, uttered. In the first book of Moses, we read that when mankind began to be multiplied upon the earth, 
the men and women gave their minds so greatly to fleshly delight and filthy pleasure that they lived without all fear of God. God seeing this, their beastly and abominable living and perceiving that they amended not, but rather increased daily more and more in their sinful and unclean manners, repented that ever he had made man. And to show how greatly he abhorred adultery, whoredom, fornication, and all uncleanness, he made all the fountains of the deep earth to burst out and the... and the fountains of heaven to be opened so that the rain came down upon the earth by the space of 40 days and 40 nights. And by the means, by this means destroyed the whole world and all mankind, eight persons only accepted. That is to say, Noah, the preacher of righteousness, as St. Peter calls him and his wife, his three sons and their wives. Oh, what a grievous plague did God cast here upon all living creatures for the sin of whoredom. For the which God took vengeance, not only of man, but of all beasts, fowls, and all living creatures. Manslaughter was committed before, yet was not the world destroyed for that, but for whoredom all the world, few only except, was overflowed with waters and so perish. An example worthy to be remembered that you may learn to fear God. We read again that for the filthy sin of uncleanness, Sodom and Gomorrah and the other cities nigh unto them were destroyed by fire and brimstone from heaven, so that there was neither man, woman, child, nor beast, nor yet anything that grew upon the earth there left undestroyed, whose heart trembles not at the hearing of this history, who is so drowned in whoredom and uncleanness that will not now forever after leave... uh, that will not now forever after leave this abominable living, seeing that God is so grievously, uh, seeing that God so grievously punishes uncleanness to rain fire and brimstone from heaven, to destroy whole cities, to kill man, woman, and child, and all other living creatures there abiding, to consume with fire all that ever grew. What can be more manifest tokens of God's wrath and vengeance against uncleanness and impurity of life? Mark this history, good people, and fear the vengeance of God. Do you not read also that God did smite Pharaoh in his house with great plagues because that he uh, ungodly desired Sarah, the wife of Abraham? Likewise, we read of Abimelech, king of Gerar, although he touched her not by carnal knowledge. These plagues and punishments did God cast upon filthy and unclean persons before the law was given. The law of nature only reigned in the hearts of men to declare how great love he had to matrimony and wedlock. And again, how much he abhorred adultery, fornication and all uncleanness. And when the law that forbade whoredom was given by Moses to the Jews, did not God command that the breakers thereof should be put to death? The words of the law be these. uh, Whoever commits adultery with any man's wife shall die the death, both the man and the woman because he has broken wedlock with his neighbor's wife. In the law also it was commanded that a damsel and a man taken together in whoredom should be both stoned to death. In another place we also read that God commanded Moses to take all the head rulers and princes of the people and to hang them upon gibbets openly that every man might see them because they either committed or did not punish whoredom. Numbers 25. Again, did not God send such a plague among the people for fornication and uncleanness that they died in one day uh, three and 20,000? 
I pass over for lack of time many other histories of the Holy Bible which declare the grievous vengeance and heavy displeasure of God against whoremongers and adulterers. <clears throat> Certainly this extreme punishment appointed of God shows evidently how greatly God hates whoredom. And let us not doubt but that God at this present abhors all manner of uncleanness, no less than he did in the old law, and will undoubtedly punish it, both in this world and in the world to come. For he is a God that can abide no wickedness. Therefore ought it to be eschewed of all that tender the glory of God and the salvation of their own souls. St. Paul says, all these things are written for our example and to teach us the fear of God and the obedience of his holy law. For if God spared not the natural branches, neither will he spare us that but he grafts in if we commit like offenses. If God destroyed many thousands of people, many cities, yes, the whole world for whoredom, let us not flatter ourselves and think we shall escape free and without punishment. For he has promised in his holy law to send most grievous plagues upon them that transgress to break his holy commandments. Thus have we heard how God punished the sin of adultery. Let us now hear certain laws which the civil magistrates devised in their countries for the punishment thereof, that we may learn how uncleanness has ever been detested in all well-ordered cities and commonwealths and among all honest persons. <coughs> laws devised for the punishment of whoredom. The law among the Lepreans was this that when any were taken in adultery, they were bound and carried three days through the city. And afterward, as long as they lived, they were despised. And with shame and confusion, counted as persons void of all honesty. Among the Locrensians, the adulterers have both their eyes thrust out. The Romans in times past punished whoredom sometimes by fire, sometimes by sword. If any man among the Egyptians had been taken in adultery, the law was that he should openly in the presence of all the people be scourged naked with whips unto the number of a thousand stripes. The woman was then taken with him, had her nose cut off, whereby she was known ever after to be a whore and thereafter to be abhorred of all men. Among the Arabians, they that were taken in adultery had their heads stricken from their bodies. The Athenians punished whoredom by death in like manner. So likewise did the barbarous uh, Tartarians. Among the Turks, even at this day, they that uh, have been taken in adultery, both man and woman, are stoned straight away to death without mercy. Thus we see that godly acts were devised in times past of the high powers for the putting away of whoredom and for the maintaining of holy matrimony or wedlock and pure conversation. And the authors of these acts were no Christians, but the heathen. Yet were they so inflamed with the love of honesty and pureness of life that for the maintenance and con uh, conservation of keeping up of that, they made godly statutes, suffering neither fornication or adultery to reign in their realms unpunished. Christ said to the people, the Ninevites shall rise at the judgment with this nation, meaning the unfaithful Jews, and shall condemn them for their repenting uh, uh, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, but behold, he said, a greater than Jonah is here, meaning himself, and yet they repented not. Shall not think you, likewise, the Locrensians, the Arabians, Athenians, with such other rise up in the judgment and contemn us, for as much as they ceased from the whoredom at the commandment of man, and we have the law, and manifest precepts and commandments of God, and yet forsake we not our filthy conversation." 
Truly, truly, it shall be easier at the day of judgment to these heathen than to us, except we repent and amend. For though death of body seems to us a grievous punishment in this world for whoredom, yet is that pain nothing in comparison to the grievous torment which adulterers, fornications, and all unclean persons shall suffer after this life. For all such shall be excluded and shut out of the kingdom of heaven, as St. Paul says. Be not deceived, for neither whoremongers, nor worshippers of images, nor adulterers, nor effeminate persons, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous persons, nor drunkards, nor cursed speakers, nor pillars, shall inherit the kingdom of God. And St. John in his revelation says that whoremongers shall have their part with murderers, sorcerers, enchanters, liars, idolaters, and such other in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. The punishment of the body, although it be death, has an end. But the punishment of the soul, which St. John calls the second death, is everlasting. There shall be fire and brimstone. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The worm that there shall gnaw the conscience of the damned shall never die. Oh, whose heart distilleth not even drops of blood to hear and consider these things. If we tremble and shake at the hearing and naming of these pains, oh, what shall they do that shall feel them, that shall suffer them? Yes, and ever, after, uh, ever shall suffer world without end. God have mercy upon us. Who is now so drowned in sin and past all godliness that he will set more by filthy and stinking pleasure, which soon passes away, than by the loss of everlasting glory? Again, who will so give himself to the lust of the flesh that he fears nothing at all the pain of hellfire? But let us hear how we may eschew the sin of whoredom and adultery, that we may walk in the fear of God and be free from those most grievous and intolerable torments which abide all unclean persons." Remedies whereby to avoid fornication and adultery. Now, to avoid fornication, adultery, and all uncleanness, let us provide that above all things we may keep our hearts pure and clean from all evil thoughts and carnal lust. For if that be once infected and corrupted, we fall headlong into all kinds of ungodliness. This shall we easily do if when we feel inwardly that Satan, our old enemy, tempts us unto whoredom, we by no means consent to his crafty suggestions, but valiantly resist and withstand him by strong faith in the word of God, alleging against him always in our heart this commandment of God. It is written, you shall not commit whoredom. It shall be good also for us ever to live in the fear of God and to set before our eyes the grievous threatenings of God against all ungodly sinners and to consider in our mind how filthy, beastly, and short that pleasure is whereinto Satan continually stirs and moves us. And again, how the pain appointed for that sin is intolerable and everlasting. Moreover, to use a temperance and a sobriety in eating and drinking to eschew unclean communication, to avoid all filthy company, to flee idleness, to delight in reading the Holy Scriptures, to watch in godly prayers and virtuous meditation, and at all times to exercise some godly travails, shall help greatly unto the eschewing of whoredom. And here are all degrees to be admonished, whether they be married or unmarried, to love chastity and cleanness of life. For the married are bound by the law of God so purely to love one another that neither of them seek any strange love. 
the man must only cleave to his wife and the wife again only to her husband. They must so delight one in another's company that none of them covet any other. And as they are bound thus to live together in all godliness and honesty, so likewise it is their duty virtuously to bring up their children and provide that they fall not into Satan's snare, nor into any uncleanness, but that they come pure and honest unto holy wedlock when time requires. So likewise ought all masters and rulers to provide that no whoredom nor any point of uncleanness be used among their servants. And again, they that are single and feel in themselves that they cannot live without the company of a woman, let them give wives of, let them get wives of their own and so live godly together. For it is better to marry than to burn. And to avoid fornication, says the apostle, let every man have his own wife and every woman her own husband. Finally, all such as feel in themselves a sufficiency and uh, <clears throat> habit through the working of God's spirit to lead a soul and continent life, let them praise God for his gift and seek all means possible to maintain the same. As by reading of holy scriptures, by godly meditations, by continual prayers and such other virtuous exercises. If we all on the wise will endeavor ourselves to eschew fornication, adultery, and uncleanness, and lead our lives in all godliness and honesty, serving God with a pure and clean heart, and glorifying Him in our bodies by the leading uh, of an innocent and harmless life, we may be sure to be in the number of those of whom our Savior Christ speaks in the gospel on this manner. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God, to whom alone be glory, honor, rule, and power, worlds without end. Amen.